family, don't worry. You have reached the right podcast. This is still Building Without a Blueprint, and I am your host, Princeton Parker. So excited to bring such a special episode to you. When I got the idea for this, I was sitting in the movie theater at the AMC Dine-In in the Marina, because y'all know I'm bougie, and it was Halloween, and I took myself to see this movie that everybody kept braving about that had this person on the cover. I recognized Bradley Cooper, couldn't make out that the woman on the flyer, on the whatever you want to call it, on the cover, the trailer, was the one and only Lady Gaga. And it was a film called A Star Is Born. I sat there watching this film in tears, literally weeping, almost about to blow my nose in the cloth napkin at the dine-in. And I was like, maybe I should take this home. And that's when I knew that the film had touched on so much of what I had been learning in my own experience that I wanted to pass on to you. And I thought, what better way to talk about a really great movie and to share my life experience than to sit here and use A Star Is Born as an opportunity to connect with you to talk about life, talk about love, and to talk about wholeness. So don't worry, fam. You reached the right place. Building Without a Blueprint for this very special episode. We're probably going to do a part one and a part two of this of 10 lessons from A Star Is Born. I'm going to give you 10 lessons that I took away, things that spoke to me that were reflections of what I've been learning in this latest and latest season of my life from the movie A Star Is Born. Now listen, a couple rules. One, if you ain't seen the movie, spoiler alert, okay? (laughs) I'm going to be talking about the film in depth. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. Or if you haven't seen it and you want to listen and then be able to take this in your mind with you when you go see it, then do that. It's definitely worth seeing definitely worth processing. Take your tissue with you. Okay. Number two, the music in this film was absolutely phenomenal. And so I want to interweave it into the conversation. And so as we're going along, uh, we're going to be able to hear some clips of some of the phenomenal music from the film. Please know that I don't own any of the rights to the music. This is solely for reference purpose. And uh, I want you to be able to enjoy as we go that the music kind of tells the story of what's going on in the film. It tells the story of what's going on in the lives and the hearts and minds of the central characters. Rule number three, we about to get deep fam. So I want you to process with me. And I say this as rule number four, that everything I will share about relationships, about life and love is not because I'm the expert. I'm going to share with you stuff that I'm learning. I'm going to share stuff that I've been processing and I just happen to see it in the film. It's one of those moments where you're looking at something that is reflecting your life back to you. So here we go. Without any further ado, let's talk about 10 things to learn about life, love, and wholeness from A Star Is Born. Quand 
So, fam, it's important to know that A Star is Born is a remake. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see any of the other ones. I just, in my research, learned that it was a remake. So there are people that say that the one with Barbara Streisand, they had better chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. But what was so important about this film is the ways in which it paid attention, not just to artistry and not just to romance, but the way it paid attention to mental health, to emotional health, to trauma, and to relationships. Like, the level of detail in kind of putting those things in the conversation and highlighting them and sort of centering them in the narrative that 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 it is a love story but it's not really about the love it is about how the love is simply what goes on top of this trauma, this 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 battle of understanding emotional health, this battle of understanding and unpacking addiction and and mental illness and the disease of addiction and of alcoholism, right? And sort of digging into that and kind of centering that and seeing how all those things underscore love and underscore family and underscore career and underscore the life that we live. This connected because if you're going to build without a blueprint, it's not just about what you're building. If the builder is not healthy, then the building will never be stable. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm preaching already. If the builder is not healthy, then the building will never be stable. 
One of the reasons why things don't last, one of the reasons why whatever we're pursuing isn't sustainable is because whatever's building it, whoever's building it is not healthy enough to create the conditions and the patterns necessary for what you're building to be sustained. And that's why this film is so powerful. It talks about the fact that you can build love, you can build a career, you can build a brand, you can build your talent, you can build a following. But if the builder has not found healing and wholeness and strength and love and a good environment upon which to discover oneself, then whatever you're building will not be sustained. Such is the story of the central characters, Jackson Maine and Allie. Jackson, a popular artist who has attained some high esteem as a musician, as a band leader, as a vocalist, songwriter, and guitarist, and Allie, who will be the love interest. They will find each other and begin to fall in love in their journey. Um, Allie, who uh, we are introduced, who is in food service, but has this phenomenal voice and also this gift of songwriting. And in their rendezvous, they kind of introduce each other to different worlds. To Allie, she's introduced to Jackson's world of just being able to put her gift out there, to be able to put her songs out there and to really get the validation of the fact that she is a singer and she is an artist, contrary to the experience that she has had prior to meeting Jackson in terms of people not believing in her gift. Now, Jackson will be introduced into this world of being able to not be a celebrity for a moment, to be able to introduce, to be introduced to a world where someone sees him for who he is and someone who introduces him to the normal world, not just the world where you are expected to be a celebrity. But the first thing that we see is that in each of them, particularly in Jackson, Maine, is a lot of tragedy underscoring his talent. The very first scene opens us up with Jackson about to go on stage, about to perform for what looks and sounds and feels like thousands of people. But what does he do right before going on stage? He chugs a glass of whatever we will probably identify it as liquor and he pops a handful of pills. We're introduced to his trauma right away. Not necessarily the, the trauma that underscores, but we're introduced to his addiction, right? That is a result of trauma that we'll understand later on. Here we go. Let's start here with lesson one. Lesson one that I took away from A Star is Born that I've been learning in this past season of my life is this. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. I'll say that again. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. See, Jack has faced alcoholism and drug addiction, and the whole movie portrays his battle and how love comes along to kind of help him through it. But the whole film is about how he has to unpack that he alone has to make the choice for his healing. He alone has to make the choice for life or death. He alone has to make the choice for wholeness or for staying. And so we do this kind of dance of him trying to reconcile the fact that he's been through so much, so much at the hands of his father who didn't see him, so much at the hands of kind of battling with his older brother for most of his life, so much at the hands of having fame and the cost that comes with fame. And all of that is traumatic. And he's kind of teasing through all of that and trying to birth a, a compassion for himself that he never really displays throughout the whole movie. But at the same time, what he also doesn't seem to grasp is that this 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 ownership that he needs to have, this position that he needs to have, this accepting that it is his responsibility to choose himself, to choose a better way, to choose how he will respond and whether or not he will tackle that trauma head on. 
all of us have experienced trauma. All of us have experienced something in life that we didn't get. All of us have experienced some sort of event, some sort of position, some sort of experience in life that has in some senses scarred us, scarred who we are, scarred us with pain, scarred us with memory, scarred us with unmet needs. And the compassion comes from knowing that that was not our fault. But the ownership comes from knowing that it is our responsibility. My question to you is, have you been able to release the onset of your trauma or release the guilt of the fact that it happened to you or that you didn't get what you needed or that you survived what you survived? But have you also picked up the banner to say, you know what? No, I didn't cause this, but yes, I'm still responsible to choose my own healing to choose myself, to choose my journey. We're, we're in this story where every time Jack is reconfronted with pain and reconfronted with trauma, he chooses to self-medicate. He chooses this sort of way out. He chooses to numb himself. He chooses to be angry. He chooses to lash out. Or sometimes when he's not lashing out, he just chooses to seclude. And Allie, because of this newfound relationship, becomes the one who is kind of picking up the slack for his trauma. She's picking up the slack for the decisions that he makes as a result of his pain. She kind of jumps in. And right away, it's very interesting that the first time that they hook up, the very first time they hook up, they're doing their thing and they're 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 getting a chance. They're, you know, embracing one another. They're kissing, whatever that might be. And she says, hey, give me a few minutes. And she goes in the room to freshen up. They just got finished with the show. And she comes out of the bathroom and there he is just passed out drunk on the couch. And the brother says something interesting. He begins to explain to her that you're going to realize that this is who he is. <laughs> Imagine that. Like the first moment of intimacy that you get, you're realizing somebody at their at their at their lowest point, right? It's not that he's drunk because he had a good time. It's wait, he lives this way. He lives numb. But there she is, at first moment of intimacy, helping him in the bed, right? Laying with him as he is drunk. And then in another scene, I remember being so captivated by the fact that not only did she help him in the bed, but the next moment of intimacy that intimacy that they have is when he wakes up and then just kind of picks up where they left off. And, and I was like, wow, at at first interaction, right? At least of intimacy, she is sort of shouldering his wholeness, shouldering the responsibility of kind of helping him rehabilitate. I, I want you to be cautious of positioning yourself as the responsible person. I, I want you to be careful to not assume responsibility for someone else's healing. I can't tell you how many times we do that. I can't tell you how many times we, we, we put ourselves in the position like, if I just do this, this person will be healed. If, if I just do this, I'm going to help this person enough so that they can get to the point where they're okay. They can get to the point where they can make it. They can get to the point where they're eventually going to choose. They just, they just need me to get them through this season. They just need me to hold them down and to step in the gap and to take some jabs and some punches. But if someone hasn't chosen it for themselves... No matter how much you love, no matter how much you invest, no matter how much you do, if they haven't accepted responsibility for it, you'll never be enough. 
So I'm speaking to two people. I'm speaking to number one, the person who has been looking and you haven't chosen your own wholeness. There are people who have experienced trauma and are still comfortable letting the world take care of them. Still comfortable allowing their mom to step in and fill that gap. Still comfortable putting that emotional labor and that time and that energy on other people and on your girlfriend and on your boyfriend on the people around you, on your best friend, on your job, still allowing other people to pick up the slack for you. I'm here to tell you that there is grace and compassion for you because the trauma was not your fault. However, it is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to choose you. It's your responsibility to figure out how you're going to begin patterns of better behavior, patterns of seeking help, patterns of acknowledging what you don't do right. So first I'm speaking to you. Are you that person who has allowed everybody else to accept the responsibility for you getting healed? Or the second person I'm speaking to is, are you the person that unknowingly or knowingly continues to shoulder the weight of other people's journey and their healing process and their trauma? Because you believe that if you do it enough, eventually they'll do it for themselves. You have to get free. Watch this. Because... If you don't get free now, what are two things that are going to happen? Either everything's going to crumble later or two, it'll all be great, but you will crumble from burnout. You will be so exhausted from overexerting energy on somebody else's healing journey that you will look up and begin to resent them because you went so long without your needs being met. I'm telling you, you will grow in resentment towards them because you bore burdens that were too big for you. Any time, Dr. Darius Daniels says this, he's the pastor of uh, Change Church and, and he's phenomenal. And he says, anytime in, in, in Christian circles, we hear this term unequally yoked, right? Unequally yoked just means that we don't share equal weight. That's all unequally unequally yoked means. We don't share equal weight. And anytime someone is pulling more weight than the other over a longer, consistent amount of time, that person will grow to resent the other because you're not sharing my weight. You're not carrying your end of the weight. And so because I've grown this long, the first thing is I'm going to become tired. The second thing is I'm going to become frustrated and prolonged unaddressed frustration will eventually turn into resentment. Now, that's not my own. I borrowed that from Dr. Darius Daniels. You should really follow him. His wisdom is just paramount. So I'm talking to you. You got to get to that point where you realize that you can't heal. Now, let me take it to another level. Be very careful when you're in a relationship where you believe that the other person heals you or where you believe you can heal the other person. I believe that love does have healing properties. Good love does have healing properties. Let me say it again. I believe that firmly in my heart that it is possible to have good, whole, healthy, well-intended, mature, thought-out love that has healing properties. But the danger is when you make the person who that love comes from your source of healing. Let me say that again. Good love has healing properties, but the danger is when you make the person who that love comes from 
your source of healing. Because what's going to happen is it now reframes your expectations to be unrealistic. Making someone your source of healing causes you to develop unrealistic expectations. Because now that I believe you're my source, I'm going to start to expect you to be my everything. So one or two things are going to happen. Either I'm not going to begin to pour into the needs that you have. And again, you'll resent me. Or worse, I'm going to be thrown off and disenfranchised or disoriented when I see your humanity. And I'm going to start to demonize or villainize you (laughs) that you didn't meet my needs. You weren't there for me. You were awful. You were a horrible boyfriend. You were a horrible girlfriend. You were a horrible boss. You were a horrible best friend. When in actuality, it was my fault for not accepting the responsibility of my own wholeness. But instead, I made you the well. I made you the source. But now I'm mad that you couldn't be my everything when you were never created to be my everything. And the reason why many of our relationships ended was not because we weren't in a relationship with someone who was a good person. The reason why these relationships ended were because we made that person God and no one, no human being was built to carry the weight of the expectations of God. Good love has healing properties. But that person is not your healer. Be very careful when someone says, you're my everything. Be very careful when you say, she or he or it is my everything. No, that's not possible. God is the only one who is voluminous enough, who is full enough, who is present enough to be your everything. No human being was born with the capacity to be your everything. So your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Here's the how before I move on. The way that you address the how from this lesson is this. Shore up your support network so that one person is not your everything. Do you also have a spouse or do you, besides your spouse, do you also have a therapist? Do you also have a best friend? Do you also have a faith leader? Someone who directs you spiritually. Now, let me let me pause to say this. Your therapist and your pastor are not the same person. You need both. Your pastor or your spiritual leader, whoever guides or mentors you spiritually, and your therapist are not the same person. Sometimes the jobs will mirror one another because they're dealing with the inner parts of you. But their jobs are different. One is to help you navigate the past and who you are and where you are and to be able to let you unpack. The other is to now help use your system of belief to help frame you towards navigating where you will go. You need both. Who's your best friend? Who's your spiritual leader? Who's your therapist? Who are just people you talk to? Who's a career leader? So that's the how. I want you to draw out like a playbook. Like there's a position on the basketball court, power forward, center, shooting guard, etc. Who are your five? Who are your five? This is my spiritual leader. This is my best friend. This is my therapist. This is my wild card, right? Throw somebody in there, a parent, a family member or something. And then five, then this is my boo. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Are you working your stuff out? 
or are you just letting old ways continue to pile up while the rest of the world tries to heal you? Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Takes a lot to change, man. Hell, it takes a lot to try. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. I'm glad I can't go back to where I came from. I'm glad those days are gone, gone for good. But if I could take spirits from my past and bring them here. You know I would, you know I would Nobody speaks to God these days Nobody speaks to God these days I'd like to think he's looking down and laughing out of ways Nobody speaks to God these days Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Maybe it's time to let the old ways die It takes a lot to change your plans Hell, a train to change your mind Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Oh, maybe it's time to let the old ways die Jack struggles the entire film because he's wrestling with letting the old ways die. He's wrestling with all these voices, his dad's voice, his brother's voice, Ali's voice, Ali's manager's voice. And, and all these voices never allow him to be in the position where he can really stand up and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to choose me. And even when he does, still gripped, gripped by the power of the illness and, and gripped by the power of so much that you were struggling with. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Number two, when you meet someone, you don't want to know, are they perfect? You want to know, have they taken ownership of their imperfections? You don't want to know, is somebody perfect? Because if you're waiting for somebody perfect, who perfectly aligns with your values and who is you know just perfectly navigated towards your communication style and perfectly oriented towards the things that you like to do and your worldview and your ideologies, fam. <laughs> Hate to break it to you, but you'll be searching for that for a long time. Can I pause right there and say that most of us, when we're looking for friends and or significant others, we're not looking for partners. We're looking for clones. We're looking for ourselves inverted. That's not a partner. That's not a friend. That's not a coworker. If all you do is cut and paste you and then invert it so it's the opposite so that you could feel like you have a partner, that, that's not a partner. The person who you find is going to be imperfect. They are going to think wildly different from you. They're going to have really weird character traits. They're going to see the world differently because they will have been influenced and impacted by their own histories and their own trauma. So they're not going to be the same and what they've learned and their experiences and their exposure. 
You don't want to know, are they perfect? You want to know, do they take ownership of their imperfections? Do they sit and do they say, hey, you know what? I got some stuff to figure out. It's not about do they have the same ideologies as you when they come in. It's about how they have that conversation when you get to a point of disagreement. Maybe he doesn't know everything about patriarchy, but is he willing to admit what he doesn't know? And does he unpack it as he learns? Maybe he doesn't know the word patriarchy, but when a problematic behavior is introduced to him, does does he own it? And then does he go back to his sphere to figure it out? Yeah, that person might not be where you are spiritually for whatever your faith might be. But when presented with a matter of faith, do they seek it for themselves? Do they question? Do they wrestle? But then do they arrive with a greater conviction? Are they willing to listen? Do they study on their own? Do they pursue? No, they're not going to fully have unpacked all their trauma. No, they're not going to be at the place where they're just completely perfect and they don't have any scars. They don't have anything that is still kind of haunting them from childhood. They're just completely perfect. No, you're not going to find that. But do they own it? Do they say, I'm sorry? Do they say, hey, that that was me and I'm doing this to work on it? So step one is, do you take responsibility? But step two is, do you take ownership? Does that responsibility turn into action? Apologies, saying when you're wrong, pursuing it. I find it interesting that for Jack, in the film, we see his wrestle with addiction. And it's not until about three quarters of the way through the film that he pursues rehab. It's not until three quarters of the way through the film that we see him have the discussion with the therapist while he's in rehab that I'll talk about a little later where he starts to unpack his trauma. Allie, when she finds him, sees a man who is highly creative and he is fun and he sees her, right? He he sees her for who she is and, and her gift and her talent. But yet and still, we see him leaning into his discomfort and, and the illness that is alcoholism or 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 his desire to kind of be numb at times, leaning into that, not always saying, hey, I, I'm going to get help. Or even sometimes when he goes, right, I would even say not just do they take ownership, but I'm going to add this. Does the person take ownership for them? I think the reason why the time in rehab three quarters of the way into the movie was different was because the other times he went, it was for her. She had become his motivation, but external motivation only gets you so far. It had to become intrinsic for him. And that's when he really dug deep, right? That's when he really dug deep and figured out like, yo, there's some stuff in me I've been running away from that has caused me to medicate with this addiction for so long. Does the person take ownership? Do they follow up with action? And then are they doing it for them, not just for you or for the relationship or for the promotion? Those behaviors are what you want to seek. We're going to fight. We're going to disagree. I'm going to be annoyed by the fact that I'm smarter than you, or I'm going to be annoyed by the fact that we don't see this the same way. I'm going to be mad that nobody ever taught you this. I'm going to feel like, oh my goodness, how long do I have to live in this world where nobody shares my same value system, where where nobody understands the Bible the way I do, or nobody understands feminism the way I do, or nobody understands politics the way I do, or nobody understands finance the way I do, or nobody understands emotional health, or whatever your thing is that you're superior at or whatever. It's not about that. You want to tease through when you're going through those moments where they're not there, how do they respond? And do they take 
ownership. My favorite moment happens way in the beginning of the movie when Allie challenges Jack right off the back. She challenges him in the parking lot and says, how long are you going to run away? How long are you going to try to fill that void with all this other stuff instead of challenging the void directly to be healed? She's basically saying early on, right? Will you take ownership? That's how we get the song shallow. Will you take ownership? Are you tired of trying to fill that void? It's not about being perfect. It's about how you handle your imperfections. Here's the how. The how is I want you to be able to openly admit three of your biggest imperfections that have come as a result of your trauma, that have come as a result of patterns over time. I want you to think through, just give me three of them or give yourself three of them. And I want you to have a conversation about them with someone you trust and say, hey, I've learned that I do this. How has this impacted you? Two, I want you to find a book or a podcast or a YouTube video that shares how people have overcome it. Then number three, I want you to make a list of two things you can do differently as a result. Instead of saying this, I commit to saying this. Or when I feel myself wanting to do this, I will choose this instead. Just those three things. One, acknowledge them, make a list. These are my three biggest imperfections. These are my three most toxic behaviors. These are the three things I see. And if you don't know, ask. Ask somebody closest to you. Take ownership. Two, Get knowledgeable about it. Find out why you do it. Find out what the root of it is. Find a podcast on that topic. Find a YouTube video. Find a book and get knowledgeable. And then three, make a commitment for each one. Why? You ain't got to be perfect, but you do have to take ownership of your imperfections. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. So the film has unpacked kind of Jack and Allie's story that they're in love and the way that they fall in love is their connection over music, right? Jack is learning how brilliant Allie is as a vocalist as a songwriter after hearing her sing in the club. She's, of course, been able to learn Jack's gift and they have merged together. They've been able to perform together and Jack is getting her out of her shell as well as introducing her to the public scene. And he's saying like, yo, you have something to contribute. You are great. You are fantastic. But during one of those performances, she performs this song by herself on piano and she's amazing. And this guy named Rez comes to approach her after the show to tell her how amazing she was and that he wants to sign her. Now, up until this point, Jack has been the one telling Allie, hey, sing this, telling Allie, hey, I did this arrangement. We're going to do this, pushing Allie forward and kind of steering her and, and her gift to an extent. And now Rez comes along. And as Allie is sharing her excitement about the opportunity to be signed and to work with a manager, there's this whole scene where Jack is drunk out of his mind and he's doing some very stupid things to Allie, really expressing his jealousy. And instead of being a mature man to say, hey, that makes me uncomfortable that another dude is sliding in and, and that you're so excited about it. So just being honest about how he felt, right? Because that's very difficult or so hard. He decides to show his jealousy in a very immature way. So lesson number three is this. 
Are you prepared for the person who you're in a relationship with, a friendship, romantic relationship, or even networking with to be successful beyond your influence? Lesson number three comes in the form of a question. Are you prepared for the person who you're in a relationship with, a friendship, a romantic relationship, or even a business partnership? Are you prepared for that person to become successful beyond your influence. Rez came in and Jack was jealous. Why? Because his validation came from being able to influence Ali's gift. He took a great deal of pride. He took a great deal of this is who I am that I get to influence your gift, that I get to determine what we sing and I built your career and I built your platform and I built us. And it looked great. It looked like He was doing it out of the goodness of his heart. Watch this until someone challenged his position. You can always tell the integrity and quality of someone's heart by how they respond when you don't need them to do what they were doing before. If you all of a sudden get sus because I don't need you in that same capacity anymore, then I have to question the root of why you were being nice to me in the first place. Was it because you were genuinely concerned with no strings attached? Or was it because you were starting to base your identity and your self-worth on what you could contribute? If our relationship is broken because you no longer get to influence my decisions and where I go, then that's not a relationship, that's manipulation. Let me say this, when someone is your everything, you are immediately at risk of manipulation. I'll say it again. When someone is your everything, you are immediately at risk of manipulation. He got mad. Who is this dude coming to take my spot? (laughs) I tell you what to sing. And we see that as a trope continue to come up when Ali decides to not do country, when her career takes more of a pop turn and she's doing R&B stuff. He he even starts a reference to kind of call her a sellout. Like he goes in and, and what's interesting is they have this fight where she's in the bathtub and he says, I let you get this way. I should have told you you were enough. And, and because I didn't tell you you were enough, now you're going off and doing this trash music that is totally not, that is totally soul sucking, that is totally not, not genuine and not real and raw like we used to do. Whoa, fam, who died and left you Lord over my life? It is because his validation had come from the seat that he sat in. But the question is not necessarily because we can all, you know, sit and vent about being that person, right? Like, oops, so-and-so used to think that they was my everything. And then when I had, you know, someone else then. But I want to challenge you on that. Are you okay when people grow beyond you? Can you still be friends with someone who doesn't call you first when they have an issue? Can you continue to be friends with someone when, uh oh, well, let's put it out there. Can you continue to be friends with someone when they get their wholeness or their dream quicker than you? If you haven't found that relationship yet, can you still be friends with someone who has found that relationship and not critique every piece of theirs or not write it off as being unreal or not be waiting in the shadows for theirs to come to dust? Can you continue to be friends with someone when they get promoted faster than you? 
when your friendship is no longer based on the fact that you all are are both frustrated over the system and both frustrated over not being promoted, right? So we can occupy that space together. But when they get their dream job and they move on and they get their moment, can you still be friends with them though they've grown beyond your influence? Sometimes it's that they were your mentee. You were helping them and showing them the ropes and now they have outpaced you. Can you still be humble? Can you still be in relationship with them? This is important because we have to interrogate our motives. Are you being kind to people because you genuinely desire that they have an outcome? Or are you being kind to them because you like the power that kindness gives you? Whew, that's good. Are you kind because you believe in the benefit of the person you're helping? Or are you kind because you like the power that kindness gives you? You like the fact they have to answer to you. You like the fact that they keep coming back. You like the fact that your kindness puts you in a position of privilege that they need you. Whew. Can you continue to love people who don't need you? <laughs> Can you continue to love people who don't need you? Can you love someone who outgrows you? Now I'll flip it on the reverse end. Allie had a hard time for a second because all she knew was Jack. So her first thought was, what's he going to think? Are you free enough to choose you, to not say no to opportunities and to moments that could be phenomenal for you for fear of, quote unquote, leaving someone behind? It might be time that you choose you. It might be time that you know that choosing you and what is best for you and deciding what is best for your future does not mean that you are one, ungrateful for the kindness of those who have been great to you. And it also does not mean that you are a horrible person. It means that you're choosing you. You know, the other way this plays a huge role is parenting. If you're listening to this as a parent, can you love your child when they choose a different life for them than you would imagine they would have? Does your love continue when their spouse starts to meet needs that you used to? Can your love for them continue when you're not first call anymore? Can your love for them continue when they don't just take your word for it? They hear what you say and they choose their different career. They choose that different partner that you didn't think they should be with. They choose that different path. They go to that different church. They move to that different city. They pick that different path. Can you still embrace and can you still give the same level of nurture even though you're not in seat number one? Are you prepared for the person you're in relationship with to be successful beyond your mentorship? Or can you be the person who chooses you when it seems like you're leaving somebody behind. That was unbelievable. Thank you. That was unbelievable what you did up there. Thank you. I don't know if you know anything about me, about where I've come from. I'm Rez Gavron. I know who you are. <laughs> what you have right now goes way beyond just this. And the question to you is, what do you want? I, I don't, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I got to talk to Jack. <laughs> Don't ask me about tomorrow, but tell me about my Wow, family. 
that's all we have time for. Look at me. We only got to three. What is even happening? Look, that just means that you got to stay tuned for lessons four through ten in the next episode. I hope this has helped you so far. I hope this has helped you. I hope that it has sparked some thought and I hope that it has caused you to start to think about investing in your own wholeness and your own journey. We're, we're just getting started. So thank you again for tuning in. Follow me at Princeton Parker on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook. The name of the Facebook page is actually at Princeton Speaks. You can either type in Princeton Parker or at Princeton Speaks on Facebook check us out on princetonparker.com but if this has helped you i love 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 the messages when you shout me out on instagram when you dm me when you shoot me texts about how this has blessed you like this gives me so much life so you can do either one of those or email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com well fam we're just getting started in this thing i'll see you the next time okay remember with god as your foundation and purpose as your motivation keep building family